This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said that when people stop believing in God, they, they don't believe in nothing, they start to believe in everything. And uh, I think Jamie Corley would probably agree with that, because he's written a book called Beliefs and the World They Have Created, and it's pretty much what it does, it does what it says on the tin. Um, I think Jamie is in, you're in Shanghai, aren't you, Jamie? I hope you're joining me. 42 floors up in Shanghai, yes, here I am. Well... Uh, most people will assume that when you talk about beliefs, you mean uh, religious beliefs, but you, you have a much wider uh, view of what a belief is. So I'm going to start by asking you, what is your definition of a belief, a belief system? Well, a belief system has to be centered on a face. And that a face means a con- believing something to be true because of conviction, because you, you insert that it's true not because there's evidence for it. So, for example, in Christianity, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God as a matter of conviction. And if you're a communist, you believe that uh, there's a force to history that means that the proletarian revolution is inevitable. And so it is with the other modern beliefs of nationalism, where you believe that people are somehow different from different nations, and environmentalism, where you believe that the activities of the world, of, of humanity, will inevitably bring, bring future problems. And these are convictions held because you're convinced of them, not because of evidence. And that makes a belief. You suggest that the, uh, the default belief of mankind, before, before we get into much of civilization and sometimes afterwards, is, uh, is polytheism. And, and you, you see that uh, a, a typical pattern across the world, don't you? Well, very much so. It is extraordinary that cultures and civilizations and tribes and peoples who have no contact with each other, nevertheless, believe in invisible human-like beings with magic powers who can be persuaded to work on your behalf and they can be persuaded by either prayer or actually much more effectively by sacrifice. And this same belief has been held by all people until, roughly speaking, the arrival of literacy. And it's a very simple way in which you can remove from the world the terrible fear that it's all pointless because the reason why things have happened is because the godlets, see, the invisible beings, uh, have made them happen and you can influence them. And this seems to be necessary almost for us all to believe. You use the word godlet there, and it, it's 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 not quite a coining of yours. But when you say that, you mean uh, gods, but uh, gods as as dis- distinguished from uh, the the Christian or the Jewish god. Yeah, the, the gods with a small g, not gods with a big g. But I think it's rather confusing to to talk about gods and you know the god of this and the god of that, and then talk about god. So I, I've used the word godlets just to make the distinction. You mentioned literacy, and and it is it does seem to be literacy that uh, that moves people on from polytheism to uh, other systems of belief. Uh, and why is that? Well, it's very difficult to be sure, but what seems to happen is that people don't seem to talk about the right and wrong and the meaning of life uh, and what it is to live a good life, which is the subjects of of all of the other religions. Um, without having to, without writing about it. I mean, I presume they may have done so, but they didn't form systems uh, without writing. And that, that's where we see the introduction of the other religions is when writing comes in and starts talking about those key key factors that we now see as religious. Well, we have all these other systems of belief, but we're going to start off talking about 
religious beliefs because I, I think that's what people would expect when when they picked up the book. Um, it's what I expected, and I was I was pleasantly surprised how intrigued I was in in what you had to say afterwards. But let's start off talking about, in particular, um, one aspect of uh, the monotheistic religions, which is the way that polytheism creeps back in again. You you suggest that, uh, for instance, in medieval Christianity. Uh, it was substantially polythe polytheistic. Can you develop that for me? Well, yes, it, it, it returned with a decline of literacy. Uh, and, of course, it, it was not only that people couldn't read, but in order to, to be Christian, you had to be able to read Latin, which was scarce indeed. So that people reverted back, it seems, and all the godlets, the previous godlets, became saints, and you had to do the same things. You had to sacrifice things. You had to burn a very expensive candle, and they were very expensive in those days. And we see the same thing in Christianity, and you saw it in medieval uh, Islam, and you see it in, in Mahayana Buddhism, which is when literacy declines, people revert to the same system of, there's someone with an invisible power, and I can ask them to help me to do things. Now, it, it's it's characteristic of, of systems of belief that people who subscribe to them would would bridle if they heard you say this, wouldn't they? You know, anybody when when you cha challenge their shibboleths, they're going to go, oh no no, it's very very different. Our our belief uh, do, does not conform to this description at all. Well, I've been very intrigued. I mean, so far. Um, I've had a reaction from a number of religious people, and they've been, I have to say, somewhat to my surprise, remarkably tolerant and understanding, and said, yes, you describe what is, and you don't sit in judgment on us, um, which, which which surprises me, because, I mean, the, the nub of the matter is that, you know, there are terrible things that have been done in the name of Christianity, and there have been terrible things that are done in the name of, uh, of Judaism, uh, and, you know, rather notoriously at the moment in the name of Islam, uh, but that does not mean reflect on the, on the faith uh, on the belief as a whole and I hope I make that clear oh I think you do um, this is the moment then at which we have to uh, extend our um, understanding of belief to the other kinds of beliefs uh, that you that you deal with um, for instance uh, nationalism I think you mentioned communism there's a chapter on communism one on environmentalism um, let's let's take uh, one of them. let's take nationalism because I, I think you you it, people will be surprised to hear your views on nationalism as as uh, as a, a belief system that depends on faith rather than uh, an apprehension of the way the world is. Well, I think they will be surprised, but they will also be surprised to know that it's uh, it's an academic commonplace. Uh, ever since a guy called Bendit Anderson wrote his book called Imaginary Communities in 1983, pointing out that nationalism was something that was being created, uh, people have come to realize that nationalism isn't a, a way of being, it's actually a belief, and a belief that has a definite start date. I mean, you, you, you date the beginning of it, the invention of nationalism, pretty exactly to 1793 in Paris. That's, that's specific. <laughs> well, it is. But if you, try, if you think about it, there is no nation state before the French Revolution. That is to say, a state with one language and one political rule, with the exception of Japan. Uh, the nation state is a creation of nationalism. It's when they bumped off the king, and therefore they no longer had the royal rule, the divine right of kings, they then had to say, well, what is it that we're fighting for? Because they had to fight because they were being attacked uh, by, by the Austrians and the Prussians and, and the English. Um, and they came up with this idea of the France, of the French, of the citoyenne, of the citizen of France, and this idea that somehow or other that the French were a different group 
and that these were they were nationalists and they created everything they created the first national anthem the marseillaise i mean the british national anthem is is older but it only talks about god save the king uh, it's nothing to do with the nation so this idea of the nation suddenly appeared and it rescued the french revolution and gave them something to fight for so you you think i'm i'm actually wrong in 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 my opinion that the welsh language should be ruthlessly suppressed then. <laughs> it, it it you know the notion of building a nation is 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 not a normal human thing well we're rather lucky in the united kingdom because we we have defined ourselves as not being a nation uh, there's the nation of the English, perhaps, and the nation of the Scots, and the nation of the Welsh, and the, but I mean that we've created a bit of. But we are fortunate that we don't have a nation state. We have a a, a, a united kingdom of which is really an island, uh, with plus of course Northern Ireland. So the yes, it is an, an absurd creation that 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 arose in the French Revolution, and that was then brought to everyone else. The national flag, for example, all that. This idea that somehow or other there's something distinctive about being French that makes you a Frenchman as opposed to, say, a Belgian. I mean, the French didn't speak one language. The Basques didn't speak French, and the Bretons didn't speak French, and the Flemings didn't speak French. And indeed, the French mostly didn't speak French. They spoke <laughs> Occitan. And so this idea of the nation is created by nationalism. And Yeah, you, you take great pleasure in, in pointing out that, uh, for instance, Gary Baldy was born in France, and Ataturk was uh, born in Greece. Well, um, uh, all, all, the, all these nation builders were, were, not, um, were not members of the nations they built. Well, indeed, and, and Greece is a wonderful example of a nation that simply didn't exist. I mean, apart from that, it was called Hellas, but, but the area, it was a kind of tribe, a culture, Greek was. I mean, there was no land, there was no country ever called Greece or Hellas. There were a number of provinces ever in the whole of history, and it was created by a number of Russians, um, who, after the French uh, had, had broadcast the idea of nationalism, they thought that there should be a, a Greek uh, nation, and it was they that impressed it on the warlords of Epirus and Peloponnesus to turn around and suddenly stab their their Muslim neighbours who'd suddenly stopped being Muslim and become Turkish. And from there, the awful and bloody history of Greek nationalism arose. Well, I'll tell you, Jamie, I, I liked your book very much when it was uh, stroking my prejudices, <laughs> which it did in the uh, chapters about religions. And I liked it just as much when it was challenging them, um, and uh, which you do in, in the later chapters, uh, nationalism, communism, uh, environmentalism. And we will come to environmentalism because it's, it's going to be one of those, one of those uh, incendiary um, points. But before we do, I, I, I noticed that you didn't include as a system of belief, the sort of neocon attachment to free markets. And, and that, that's where I started going, hang on a minute, does this man really know what he's doing? I mean, why is, why is communism a belief, whereas uh, free market uh, faith is not? Well, the, the, the principal distinction is that the belief in free markets, and I'm not saying it's absolute or uh, pure or anything like that, the belief in free markets is a belief in that those that markets are the best way of achieving an end, of achieving a well-being. And it's this uh, idea that, that, that there's no other way will deliver you know, wealth to, the, to people better. But that's not a, a belief in the, that comes from faith in the idea. It's a belief that comes from plum ignorance. We don't know. 
uh, how markets <laughs> oh, work. I like the distinction. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, you know, one day maybe we will know what the best way of distributing wealth is uh, or, or maximizing uh, uh, material well-being. But we don't now. And there are people who say, well, this is where we think it must be the best way because it enables people to make their own choices. But it is not about uh, the faith is there in the free markets work, but it's a faith based on, on simply the fact that we don't know and we can't know. And I have to say that the more you look at it, the more rumpty too some aspects of it to become. Because what is a free market when you've got a government contract and so on and so forth? So it's not a faith that, that, that exists on its own. It's a faith that exists in the absence of evidence. Well, that sort of brings us on to environmentalism which is uh, not not quite your final chapter but it's the it's the uh, the sort of uh, the final peak that you scale and that that people will find controversial won't they you, you sort of see um, climate change as, as a kind of pascal's wager where people are, are just saying this would be it, it, it it's better to to pretend that it's true just in case it is well it's a belief because we the one scientific thing you can say about weather, which is climate, and climate is is just long-term weather, is that we don't know what it's going to be, and we don't know what affects it, and we can't predict it. Now, if therefore you think it's going to get warmer in the future, that is simply a matter of belief. Um, you believe it will get warmer in the future. Um, there, there, there can be no more to it than that. Well, I believe that the sun is going to rise tomorrow as well. Is that is that just a question of faith? <laughs> no, because that, that, that you can, yeah, I mean, to some extent, obviously it is, but uh, it's predictable on the basis of past uh, performance and of a model of the sun's behaviour that has worked continuously over a very long period. Now, we'd have no model of the weather that has worked over any period more than a couple of days. So we simply don't know what it's going to be. So that is an important distinction. We just, it's a matter of belief whether, it, whether in future it's going to get hotter or colder. I've got two more questions. Um, the first is, of the beliefs that you've studied here in this book, do you have an opinion about which is the most pernicious? Well, the one that's killed most people most recently is nationalism. The First World War is a paradigm example. I mean, even now we can't, because we kind of don't acknowledge nationalism as a belief, we don't really know why we fought it. Um, and all those people were killed. Uh, for reasons that that that's extremely unobvious a uh, hundred years later um it is because we believed that somehow we were different uh to 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 the germans and the the, the french and so on so we had to fight uh, uh for our for our own nation state so uh, it's the one that that continues to kill people it is the one that you're allowed to um still spout uh, aggressively and not be condemned. You, if you spout aggressive Islam, people will despise you. If you espou uh, shout aggressive nationalism, people will still respect you. And I think that's uh, pernicious. Well, your last question, I, I, I can't decide wh whether to ask you whether you have any strongly held beliefs or whether you think there are any beliefs that are legitimate to hold. So you can choose which of those to answer <laughs> and you can finish up <laughs> with however you like. Well, there is a belief, which is a scientific belief, um, which is held by people like Victor Richard Dawkins with evangelical fervour, uh, and I hold with much less fervour, but is nevertheless, the belief is that, that the world is ultimately comprehensible to us, and with a secondary belief that understanding that world will enable us to, to benefit and improve ourselves and our lives. Now, there is no reason, there is no scientific test or anything to, to suggest that, 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 that 
that can support the idea that we can understand the world. I mean, it's done fairly well in bits of the world and still not in others, like, like for example, the future of the weather. But, but that is a belief which, on the whole, I tend to think I support, and I, I think many people do. Well, as long as you have faith, <laughs> Jamie, that, that's enough. Your, your book is called Beliefs and the World They've Created. I think it'll be found under the religion shelves on, in, in the bookshops, which seems a, a bit narrow. Um, it's published by Matador at 9.99. Thank you very much. Tim, thank you very much. It's been very great fun. That was The Books Podcast with Tim Hague. The Books Podcast is produced by Green Shoot. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.